Merry Christmas. There is a little animated video about the difference between sympathy and empathy that has made a few rounds on my social media over the years, and I've been seeing it again recently. I think as more people cope with grief and responding to the grief of others. In the video, Brene Brown describes life's troubles as falling into a dark hole. And she describes sympathy as someone standing up at the top of that hole and shouting encouragement and advice down in. By contrast, empathy is when someone climbs down in the hole with you and says, hey, I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Rather than trying to find a silver lining or direct someone out of their problems, empathy looks for connection. Empathy is a vulnerable choice, Brown says, quote, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. And friends, in this deep, dark, scary hole of a year, at this Christmas that feels neither celebratory nor like a time of miracles, that is exactly what I needed to hear about the incarnation. The fundamental empathy of God's decision to be born as a human being, as a baby who was raised by parents and exclaimed over by strangers and who was given a lot of responsibilities and expectations to live up to really early on in life, simply because God loves her creation so much. She loves it enough to climb down in it with us and experience all its vulnerabilities and all its pains in order to connect with us. The almighty God the creator of the universe who could make any choice, loves us with the kind of love that gets down into the thick of our mess with us to be able to say, hey, I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. I needed to hear that because I have felt alone a lot this year. Many of us have experienced shelter in place as a time of disconnection and isolation. But paradoxically, it has also been a time of reckoning with just how intimately connected we are, how vulnerable we are, and how profoundly we need each other, and how connected we are in this trouble. One of the places this connection has come clear for me recently has been watching and participating in this shift in how we think about risk. Like many Americans and especially many white Americans with class privilege, I have always been socialized to think about risk as something that I can calculate and accept personal responsibility for. So long as I'm not hurting anybody else, risk, be it professional, social, emotional, financial, is something that I might choose to take on or not based on my own independent decisions about what works for me and the potential rewards. With particularly risky risks, I might consult my family or close friends or hear about it afterwards if I don't. But typically we have a very hands-off, live and let live approach to personal choice that says, you do you, the decision is yours to make. 
And that just doesn't make sense anymore. This year has demonstrated how that ideological framework of independence and self-reliance self really is insufficient. And it's based ultimately on this lie that there's any such thing as independent choice that has consequences only for me. I might feel okay about dinner at a friend's house or meeting up with a few people for a drink at my neighborhood bar, but the risks involved aren't mine right now. My risk is connected to the people I'm meeting, to the bartender, to the grocery store worker where I go three days later, and all the people they see all week long. My risk is connected to the hospital workers who will care for them if they get sick, and the patients and family members that they serve. So my personal feeling of invulnerability really doesn't matter. We're collectively, even if not equally, vulnerable right now. We are all in this hole together. Often, if we're privileged or powerful, we can make choices about whether or not to act like it. But this pandemic, like crises so often do, strips everything down to the basics and makes what once was hidden clear. Do what works for you just doesn't fly in the same way anymore. We're trying to figure out new ways of doing what works for us and redefining a lot more broadly who us is. And with this new way of seeing and being, a whole new world is being born. Like the new world promised by Simeon and Anna, it has not yet come to be. We're not out of trouble yet. The new world is in its vulnerable infancy, recognizable only by those prompted by the spirit to sit vigil looking for it. Toshi Reagan has a song inspired by the work of Octavia Butler with a chorus that goes, there's a new world coming. Where are you gonna be standing when it comes? And I'm starting to see our collective answers shifting slowly by thought, word, and deed towards we're gonna be standing in the hole with each other until our neighbors can get out. And that choice, the incarnation tells us, is holy, sacred solidarity that follows in God's own footsteps. So we make sandwiches and then we collect bicycles and then we figure out how to help pay for sewage removal at the Seabreeze camps. And bit by bit, by connection, we find the pieces of our experience that connect us to others. We expand our empathy the more we choose it. We join sacred ground circles and at the Bay Area chapter of Surge, showing up for racial justice, we've onboarded hundreds of new members in the last few months. We make calls to get people released from prison or ICE detention and we build towards reparations and abolition. We join mutual aid networks and tenants unions. We buy and distribute groceries. We go on rent strike and defend against evictions, actively choosing that while our neighbors are at risk, we will be too. We call people we haven't reached out to in a long time who might be lonely or sick or afraid. We pod, sometimes with people we wouldn't necessarily choose for the sake of our children or our loved ones or our neighbors and we make decisions for them that we wouldn't necessarily make for ourselves. 
Together, we move more slowly and with greater care. I hear that's what it's like when you're a parent, when you are charged with the care of a tiny vulnerable being and nurturing new life into the world. And when my colleague Oshala teaches about the East African concept of Ubuntu, I am because we are, she always jokes, somebody carried you in their womb. You didn't birth and feed and clean yourself. Because that's the nature of being human. We cannot, in fact, survive alone. At some point, someone or several someones fed us and spent a great deal of time making sure we stayed alive. Two strangers approach the infant Jesus and Jesus's parents in the temple. Simeon holds him. Simeon and Anna have been watching and waiting for the promised one who will stand in solidarity with them. And these righteous, devout watchers announce that with Jesus, a whole new world is being born. They praise God and rejoice. At that moment, nothing has actually changed for them. Anna is still a widow, Simeon awaiting an unseen redemption for his people. God's response to their plight, as Brene Brown might put it, has not made anything better, but the connection does. Wherever we are, whoever we are choosing to stand with, whoever's troubles we have made or found to be our own, a brand new world is coming into view and God is in it with us. Whatever our troubles, God has chosen to climb down into this hole for the sake of empathetic, salvific, healing connection with us. Merry Christmas. God has been here. God is here. And we are not alone. Amen.